This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Happy weekend, stackers. Hey, before we press play on today's episode, just a little warning for parents. While today's episode certainly isn't explicit, we are going to have some very frank spoilery conversations about kids and money. So this might be an episode that you might want to listen to without little ears in the car or in the room. Just uh, you've been warned. We'll we'll put it that way. All right. On with the show. I'm Liz, the chief mom officer. And when I'm not busy being the breadwinner of my family of five, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and looking at my crazy calendar, I see it's National Bavarian Creeps Day. Wow, a day to stay away from guys who wear black socks and Birkenstocks? Seems a little excessive, but hey, I'm in. Wait, what's that? Oh, it's Bavarian crepes, not creeps. All right, well, that changes everything. Speaking of yummy, we've got a delicious show for you today, including how do you teach children about money? Here to help us, we welcome from MoneySavvy.com, Susan Beecham. Plus, from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And here from LenPenzo.com, let's say hello to Paul McCartney. Nah, Actually, I'm kidding. We'll talk about him a little bit later. But today, it's just awkward winning blogger. I mean, award winning blogger, Len Penzo. But that's not all. In our Friday FinTech segment, ever wonder where you'd hold all those alternative investments if you want to stick them in an IRA? We'll talk to Eric Satz from Alto. Plus, we'll help Lauren magnify her money for college. Where should she invest if she doesn't want to use a college savings plan? And now... Here to help you crank up your weekend, it's Joe Saul Sihai. And I am Joe Saul Sihai, and it is the weekend. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. And uh, we have a crazy group of characters, a crazy good group of characters with us today. Let's start deep under Los Angeles. We're coming to us from his bunker. I believe it's Mr. Len Penzo. Oh my gosh. You know what, Joe, this is, uh, it's been a long extended stay in the bunker too. Just, uh, I've just had a lot of bad things happening and I've been afraid to poke my head out lately. Is it, is it because last week you called your wedding cheap and the honey bee? <laughs> you got it. Exactly right, Joe. I'm still, uh, kind of hiding from the honey bee after that, uh, that debacle. Never oh. use the word cheap when inexpensive is a better word. Lesson expensively learned, Mr. Penzo. 
And a woman who, uh, I, I don't know how to tie less than expensively learned to pull a pant. <laughs> oh, a woman who's learned a lot of expensive lessons. Yes. How are you? I am great, although I'm really surprised because I totally thought the transition at the beginning of the show would be, um, speaking of Bavarian creeps. Right. <laughs> hey, Len, how you doing? <laughs> right. but, but Len's not a Bavarian creep. Len, aren't you? A, are you a Polish creep? No, I'm an Italian creep. Italian creep. Yes. I should have Penzo, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, good on him. And Paula is a Nepalese creep. Yes, Nepalese, 100%. That is fantastic. Did, did you know that there's a certain tribe of people in Nepal that have a 355-day-a-year calendar? <laughs> totally serious. We have 355 days a year. What and then it, once every three years, we have a leap month. Uh, the whole, that's what I was going to ask is how they, how they make it. So, so yes. they have a whole extra month. Yes, we have a leap month. At, so. at, at what point don't you just go, you know what? I think we were wrong. <laughs> we, need to, <laughs> we need to revise that calendar. Like, don't you think at some point you go, okay, we got to have a meeting. <laughs> I think um, a lot of people in Nepal are going the other way. They're, they're totally convinced that the rest of the world should adopt this leap month, 355 day per year philosophy. I do like it. That's like a party month once every, you know, few years. So that's you know, good. it's bad enough being born on a leap day, but you imagine being born in a leap month. That's a lot of people who only get a birthday once every four years or whatever. <laughs> Len's thinking about moving there so we can go cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, think about the it's few- too late. The years have already racked up. There's no, no saving me, Joe. Right. Well, and here wondering what the heck she's doing here. And we're so happy she's here to save the show from moneysavvy.com. It's our new friend, Susan Beecham. Susan, how are you? Well, hello, new friends. I am so happy you're here with us. Tell the three people who don't know about Money Savvy exactly what you do. We totally gave up on people your age. And we went right back to pre-kindergarten to teach them the basics of money. Adults, too hard. Kids, amazing. You get to mold their behavior instead of change their behavior. And I can already tell trying to change the money behavior here. (laughs) It's going to take a a lot longer than an hour. (laughs) Susan's next lesson, don't call people Bavarian creeps. (laughs) That's the next one. Or Nepalese creeps. Uh, Well, we're glad you're here. I absolutely love, can you describe your piggy bank to everybody? Because I absolutely love your piggy bank, by the way. Well, I learned in my first grade class when I was trying to teach young kids about money, that money is very abstract. And so their brains can't get their head around that. So we needed to make the concept concrete. So I had a dream I was actually on vacation with my kids and my husband with my in-laws. And I had this dream that night of a piggy bank with four slots, one ear up, one ear down, four tummies, save, spend, donate, and invest. And I thought, this is it. This is the picture that's going to remind them every time they have money, what do you want to do with it? Because I had been trying to do it with four cups, and that was going nowhere fast because cups can be undone if they were twist tied yeah. together. But this piggy bank is such an iconic symbol. So I felt like we just kind of ramped it up for the 21st century kid. How come I never have cool dreams like that? Mine was about starting <laughs> a starting a podcast for my mom's basement. 
<laughs> and look where you are and now. Look, and I'm still here eight, <laughs> eight years later. Susan, you ever dream about making money by renting out your house while you're on vacation? You ever have that dream? No, that's a nightmare. I don't even <laughs> like my family to come over. <laughs> I can't imagine. It is not a nightmare. We have to we have to educate you because thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this episode of Stacking <laughs> Benjamins. <laughs> It's absolutely, it's absolutely, it's absolutely (laughs) super. Joe strikes again. (laughs) Whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income hosting on air, this is the last Airbnb spot they're going to let us do. Uh, (laughs) Hosting on Airbnb might just, Susan, might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Go to airbnb.com forward slash SB to start hosting and learn about a hundred dollar Amazon gift card offer. Terms and conditions apply. We're also happy that uh, Murder Book is sponsoring Stacking Benjamins, a new true crime podcast hosted by bestselling author Michael Connolly, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Also, be sure to check out Dark Sacred Night, Michael Connolly's latest number one bestseller featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. Is uh, the Honey Bee working on that one? I know she's a big Michael Connolly fan. I don't know. You want me to ask her? Yes. Hey, Honey Bee. What's the latest Michael Connolly book you're reading? Well, give me one. She's reading two. Hold on. Is she reading Dark Sacred Night? Are you reading? What is it? The Gods of Guilt. Right. That's a good one. And Two Kinds of Truth. Those are the two Michael Connolly. I told you she's a huge Michael Connolly fan. Well, tell her she's got to catch up because Dark Sacred Night is his latest and that's out now. Hey, Dark Sacred Nights is his latest, maybe. She hasn't got it yet. Well, I don't know what to do with that. But, but you know, Joe, you need to you do, Joe. You need to put the you need to put the sound because I know you can't hear. Her. You need to put the sound of that uh, Snoopy peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. Right, <laughs> S- Steve. Can you Steve? Can you help us with that? We, <laughs> we do know where she can get it wherever books are sold, but she should also listen to the murder book podcast. We gotta we gotta get, get out of the uh, pre roll section here. Get on with the show. We've got fantastic <laughs> stuff to talk about. Believe it or not. So, what'd she say? Oh, you you could pick that up. <laughs> yes. She said it's on Amazon April fifteenth. She says Bosch on Amazon Prime. I guess she's talking about watching Bosch on Amazon Prime now. It's it's fantastic. All right, we go. We got to move. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from the Lincoln Journal Star. This is written by Steve Rosen from the Tribune News Service. Kids and money, the tooth fairy payouts decrease for a second year in a row. It turns out, Mr. Penzo, that uh, the tooth fairy is uh, a little scroogey now. Well, this is interesting because it doesn't seem scroogey to me. Of course, my kids are older now, but it says, what is it, 370? It has slumped down from 466 a tooth two years ago. I'm shaking my head because my kids now are 19 and 21, and I was going back and checking. I actually wrote a blog post of my own about 10 Uh, years ago. Do you want to take a guess what I was giving my kids 10 years ago? You? I'm going to guess five dollars a quarter <laughs> all right who's the closest Thanks to not lot, going over? hold Thanks on but, yeah, but i get to guess finally i get to guess here uh how about a pat on the back and a attaboy 
<laughs> no, I was paying a dollar for a bicuspid or <laughs> a. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and for and what are the front ones called? I don't know. Bicuspids and sizers and molars were two bucks. Two bucks for a molar. So that's quite a bit less than the 370 today or 466 two years ago. I feel like a cheapskate. It says in this piece, by the way, that's a 10% drop or 43 cents from a year ago, it says. Just released. This is just released by Delta Dental Plans Association. It says they've been tracking the tooth fairy annual giving for more than two decades. And the data, the piece says, also seems to track the economic mood of the country as measured by the Standard & Poor's S&P 500 index. Susan, do you think this is parents getting their, I don't know, becoming more frugal? Do you think it is tracking the S&P 500? Okay, no, because I think what parents do when a tooth falls out is they look to one another and they say, okay, who's got change? Does anybody have a single? I don't have a single. Oh my God, all we have is a $5 bill. We can't start with a $5 bill. And I don't think it's linked to what the Fed did. I don't think it's linked to the economy. It's probably at times maybe a little emotional if the market dropped 500 points. I don't know. Do parents want to take that out on the kid that night? I don't think that happens. I think I when I saw these numbers, $4.77, I was thinking, counts that who, who you know we used to we used to try to keep each other awake mine are 27 and 25 because eventually they would wake up in the morning and there'd be nothing under the pillow so we'd have to put our hand under the pillow as we were waking them up so no i think the tooth fairy is complicated enough and i don't think we link it to uh, to the economy you, but it, it's curious that it's becoming less. I don't know why it's becoming less. Well, maybe though. How about this? And Paula, we'll bring you in. I mean, if you agree with Susan's point that it just, how much money do I have on hand? Maybe it's tied to the fact that we're using plastic more as a society uh, and parents just don't have cash laying around like we used to. So intuitively, that makes a lot of sense to me. But the thing that throws me off is the fact that the people who have been tracking this data have been tracking it for two decades and they have witnessed a correlation between the health of the overall economy and the payout of the tooth fairy. So even though intuitively that doesn't, from a common sense perspective, that doesn't really make any sense to me. If that's the data that they found, then that's the data that they found. And then what that tells me is that that means that right now we're in an aberration because we are in year 10 of a 10 year bull run Stocks in the last few months have just been going up and up and up. Yeah, we had some volatility in December. Whoop-de-doo, cry me a river. But for the most part, I mean, you know, Dow is firmly over 25,000. It's even flirted with 26,000 sometimes. The economy is really strong. And so I'm wondering if either the correlation has broken or if there's an aberration or if this is an indicator of worse times ahead. If this is you kind of like the hemline index, how <laughs> women's uh, skirts tend to get longer during uh, a recession, maybe a combination of what the tooth fairy is doing and the length of skirts in female fashion could be the basis on which you make all of your stock investing choices. That, that would be so funny. Everybody's <laughs> waiting for the Delta Delta Dental Tooth Fairy Index to see where the economy's headed. The the delta between what the oh. tooth fairy was paying and what it is now. <laughs> Math jokes for the win. Uh -huh. <laughs>
Uh, for comparisons, Delta Dental said kids in the West receive the most money, averaging four dollars and nineteen cents. Payout in the South is three ninety one. Kids in the Northeast generally get three seventy. Midwesterners like me, we tend to be the cheapest. Apparently, two ninety seven. Do you find Susan that depending on where you talk to people around the nation, that parents trust their kids more or less with money based on small town, big town, part of the country they're in? No, I don't. I think it's a very common thing for parents to have a relationship with money before they have children. And based on that relationship, that's how they parent when it comes to money. So it's more their own past that starts to seep into what they do with their kids. So I never got allowance. I don't know. Did you all get a lot? I'm I'm sorry. I never got tooth fairy money. Uh, Did you get tooth fairy money? Len, did you get tooth fairy money? Yes, I did. 25 cents. 25 cents. Okay. And Paula? Did you get? Yes. Yes, I did. I I don't remember the amount, but yes, I got it. Paula got 7,000. Well, just to be clear, Paula got 7,958 Nepalese dollars, which is like 46 (laughs) cents. No, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about that after I read this article. The fact that my parents, who are recent Nepalese immigrants, had to learn this brand new cultural practice and they had to learn it before the internet when there wasn't as much information out there. I don't even know how they found out about the tooth fairy and then found out about all of the customs and rituals, but I have a very clear memory of getting tooth fairy money. I remember complaining about how much my little sister got. Our tooth fairy was very inconsistent and it kind of went with how, uh, how many raises my dad had had at general motors so my tooth fairy was very, very frugal as the oldest. The tooth fairy that my sister had, who's uh, eight years younger than me, was a party animal, apparently <laughs> a whole different tooth fairy. I was looking at this whole tooth fairy thing, Joe. I love what they do in Japan. Children throw their baby teeth onto the roof in the hopes that their new adult teeth will grow upward toward them. Aww. I think that's so sweet. And it's so much less harsh than Argentina, where it's not a tooth fairy, it's a rat. And the child places their tooth in a cup of water near their bed, and the rat, called El Ratan de los Dientes, comes and drinks the water, takes the tooth, and leaves a prize. So, rat throwing teeth up, money, it all sounds to me like it's celebrating a rite of passage. Yeah. Susan, I want to follow up on something you said earlier, which was you were saying, you know, how much we give is kind of a reflection of how our parents gave us money. Do you think that most of us need to maybe do a little more than that? We need to maybe think a little bit more seriously about how much we give kids for the tooth fairy or allowance or whatever it might be. Well, tooth fairy and allowance, two completely different concepts for why you're giving your kids money. But I think that in addition to thinking more about why you're giving it to them, you're probably as a parent also influenced by what other kids are getting. So a lot of parents will hear from their kids, I got a buck last night, but Joey walked in with a 20. (laughs) That happens. (laughs) And so you as a parent, right, you have to have an answer that's a little bit better than that's all I had in my wallet. Oops. I mean, that's all the tooth fairy had in their wallet. 
you have to be able to at least connect what you're giving to them and what the reason is and why you chose the number. Because I guarantee you, your child will ask the question. So it's a great opportunity to talk to them about the value of money. Why Paula got what she got for her tooth, but the way you were parenting always overflows into the parenting that you do. Cheryl and I lived in a, when our kids were growing up, we lived in a neighborhood where most people were more, way more affluent than we were. So we'd have these stories, Nick and Autumn would get a dollar and other kids would get a 20. We would just sit them down and say, now you realize why mom and dad told you, you should have cleaned your room. And oh. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. We, we didn't do that. Uh, I mean, a little harsh, a little harsh. <laughs> possibly, possibly the wrong message. Uh, that was a joke to please don't write in. Uh, they do give some, they do give some tips here at the bottom. And I want you guys to weigh in on these, whatever amount you opt to pay, be consistent. Remember payments. To the first child will set the standard for any other kids in your family. Len, your kids have a little age gap between them. Did your youngest get the same amount as your oldest or was there some tooth fairy inflation? Uh, no, I think I kept it the same. I kept it the same. They were close enough. Um, so yeah, that didn't, but I think back to my mom and dad, my mom, she was the youngest of 10 kids. So I could just imagine what the inflation would have been for her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, the second piece on here, consider making payments with different currency or coins. For example, a $2 bill or quarters from the U S Mint state quarter series. I love that Paula. That is super cool. I distinctly remember when I was a little kid going into a bank and exchanging two singles for a $2 bill. And I prized that $2 bill so much. It was that it's novel. It's rare. Like I felt like I had something that was really, really special. So yeah, I love that advice. $2 bills, especially in the imagination of a kid. I got to weigh in on this one. What I did for my kids, I went to the bank and I got the gold Sacagawea dollars, the Uh gold coins. And that's what they always got paid in. So they got two for a molar and one for uh, any other tooth. So, but those gold coins, the kids loved them, you know? So, um, and then I had a reader tell me, you know what else you should do is you take gold glitter and you sprinkle the gold glitter like on the pillow. So like the fairy <laughs> cane, which I think is a great idea. Yes, I should yeah. have thought, you know, that was too late for, you know, by the time I got that, but that, that's a good idea. Glitter, my nightmare, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but these ideas are teaching children the different values of coin, which kids don't necessarily get. So if they get a nickel, they think it's worth more than a dime, which is much smaller. And so the Sacagawea, okay, if you can say it, God bless. (laughs) That pretty gold coin, there's a story behind it and there's a different value behind it. And so it's a teachable moment. And I like at least something happen when you're giving money in consideration for something else, which is a tooth. I love this next piece down here. Beware of double dipping in my household. The tooth fairy left a monetary gift under my daughter's pillow one time, but forgot to take the tooth. So the next night she put the tooth under the pillow again and got a second payment. Make sure you take the tooth. That's good (laughs) advice for parents everywhere. Let's switch over from this to allowances because I know, Susan, you feel fairly strongly about allowances. Where do you where do you sit on allowances? Allowance is expense money. So when you start giving allowance to your child, first of all, you do it in a concrete way. So it's a contract. It's on paper. 
It's something that they hold and feel and sign their name to. You make the abstract concrete. It's to cover expenses you're paying for as a parent. So it could be lunch at school. It could be a sport or it could be clothing. And it's given at a certain time of the month. And it's up to the child to come to you with receipts for what their allowance covered. If you gave them, let's say, $100 for a month and they show up with $80 of receipts, then you say, oh, you only needed 80. So this month it's 80, which will teach them how to take care of receipts. A lot of people like to pay for chores. If you do both, you'd make me happier. What I mean by that is chores are a part of family responsibilities. And eventually you're gonna have a child that you've told to clean your room, take the garbage out, get old enough to babysit. You're giving them 10 bucks a week to clean the room, and take the garbage out, they start babysitting and they come home with $60 from grateful parents. And they say to you, take your own garbage out. I don't need to clean my room. I'm covered. I've got babysitting money. So it's a slippery slope as children become more independent and start to create their own opportunities for money. So allowance is expense coverage, not pin money, not extra money. I love that idea. Responsibility. What age do you start that at, Susan? People want a number. Oh my gosh, so many people say how old and I say when it's age appropriate. So if I'm in a room of 400 parents and I say start them at age eight, somebody's going to raise their hand and tell me about their incredibly brilliant child that was doing this at four. So on average, in an age appropriate way, if your child's asking you about money, they're telling you, I'm getting it. There's something happening here. I see that money's provocative. I'm understanding transactions. Start having the conversations, suggest allowance, but start small so that you don't overwhelm them. They look that they're not interested, back off and then start again. Start with the oldest and let the younger children watch the the success or the failure and they'll learn from that. It's a privilege. So we don't start everybody at the same time. Yeah. So age eight, if I had to pick a number. Yeah. But, but I like the idea of basing it on maturity though. Your results will, will vary depending on maturity. I like that. Let's get back to the tooth fairy here just to end it for tonight, guys. Uh, Paula, you first, uh, big takeaway from kids and money here. I'd say the major takeaway is when the tooth fairy comes to visit, make it special. Don't just make it whatever's in your wallet. Make it a $2 bill or a Sacagawea coin or some decor like glitter uh, or confetti. Make it something really memorable. Len? Hey, at uh, four, what is it, $4 a, a tooth? That's uh, what, 20 baby teeth in a kid's mouth? That's uh, 80 bucks a kid, right? That's what's going to cost you. Pretty, that's a bargain. It's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and Susan, that's my takeaway. And Susan, the tooth fairy. What am I supposed to say? That's right. And Susan, you've got the last word. Okay, I say to help all those parents who forget to take the tooth, incorporate Japan's tradition. Go out on the front lawn, throw those teeth on the top of the roof, and say that's how they're going to grow, honey. And then you'll never get caught twice paying for one tooth. I'm surprised all the times, Paula, that I've uh, been on Afford Anything, that we haven't had more questions about people putting 
crazy stuff in IRAs, like especially with your real estate background, all the people that want to put uh, real estate in IRAs. But I don't I don't recall us getting that question a lot. You can certainly use a self-directed IRA to buy real estate, but I don't think that anybody has ever asked about it. Well, and I know I've heard about racehorses in IRAs. I've heard about artwork in IRAs, all kinds of crazy stuff that is not not mainstream and by the way not meant for everybody and paula you know as well as anybody that real estate inside your ira you've got a lot of rules you have to follow and don't mess them up yep lots of i's to dot lots of t's to cross can you use an ira to buy teeth from the tooth fairy i don't i don't know maybe the tooth fairy is one big ira right that they stick that in after they get the teeth i don't know maybe do you think they're flipping teeth I we we can ask. We probably won't ask that uh, question. Eric Satz is a guy who founded Alto. Alto is a company in Nashville that actually does this. And um, once again, not for everybody. Make sure you know all the rules because there are a lot of rules. But let's talk with Eric Satz about Alto and about alternative investments in your IRA. And walking down the stairs to the basement, it's my new friend, Eric Satz. Eric, how are you, man? I am great, Joe. Glad to be here. I, I want to know if the railing is code or not. You know, almost slipped on the way down. It probably isn't. And we probably need a better homeowner's policy. But that's tomorrow. Today, I want to talk about alternative investments because we have you here. Fantastic. It's, we get questions all the time for people. Hey, I want to buy a beach house and I want to go there during the summer. And then I, how about if I buy it with my IRA? And you know, that's a big no-no. But you guys, you guys actually take alternative investments and put it in your people's IRAs. What made you want to get into that business? Tell me about how Alto started. Yeah. So that's the $24,000 question, right? Basically, I had a problem. I had to go through a long, arduous process of solving it. That problem was whether or not I could make an alternative investment with money that was in my IRA. It took me like six weeks to close the transaction, which is way too long. I did all the work. And at the end of the process, I wrote the custodian a check, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You, and so I figured you tell you know, us? maybe I just chose the wrong custodian. So I did it two more times with two other custodians, had the exact same problem, at which point I went about trying to figure out whether or not it was a big enough opportunity to fix. Can you tell me what the investment was? Yeah, I invested in a uh, private company that was already an existing portfolio company of the venture capital fund that I'm a partner in. In fact, I went to my financial advisor and I said, hey, I want to take this money. I want to invest in this company. And he said, that's great. And I said, so what do we do? And he said, I don't know, but you're not doing it here. So that was four years ago. That was the beginning of the process. And to me, I just can't help myself with problems. And, you know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say you're a bit of a hero for me because anyone who can host Gene Chatsky on his podcast, I think is awesome. You know, when I was newly married in New York, my wife and I were trying to figure out our finances and, and she would be on the Today Show and talking about how to do these things. And of course, at the end of every week, we'd be sitting down with Quicken or whatever it was trying to fit, you know, and it's too late. Like we, you already spent the money, right? Right. And so a, as a result, I think in part of our own frustration and, and listening to her advice, we created something called budget balls, 
which was we filled jars with marbles and we assigned dollar values to each of the marble. Awesome. And you just come home, walk into your apartment and pull the marbles out of the jar. Those that were spent go away. And, and the ones that you save at the end of every week go into the bank. And so we're problem solvers. What can I say? <laughs> it's almost like envelopes, but a crazier version of doing the envelope system. That's right. I like fast because I'm ADD and my attention span's really short. So a lot easier to pick marbles by color and be like, oh, five, 10, one, whatever it is. And it's funny, by the way, you're here on Friday. Gene is going to be back in the basement on Monday. Uh, she'll be here. So for, for everybody, Eric had no idea he's leading in to Gene coming back for the fourth time, I think. Well, please tell her I'm an enormous fan and I love what she's doing with her money. And I think, you know, the female population has largely been too ignored on the financial front and we're speaking to them as much as anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, totally agree. So it's funny you talk about ignored. Let's get back to alternative investments being ignored. Cause I remember when I was a financial planner, people would say, Hey, can I buy this with my IRA? I'm like, yeah. And they'd say, how do you do it? I'm like, it's going to be a bear. Cause no, yeah. <laughs> cause, cause, cause nobody does it. And so that's exactly why we created Alto IRA. So my role model in this regard was TurboTax, actually, right? Who whoever wants to do their taxes? It is people burdened. It is paper burdened. It takes forever. It's complicated. You're not sure what the questions mean when you're filling out the form. And trying to complete an alternative asset investment using your IRA with an old line custodian is pretty much the same bear. And so what we said was, you know what, if we can rip the people and paper out of the process, build a platform that walks you through it one question at a time, puts the transfer of asset process from your existing IRA account to your Alto IRA account entirely online, streamlines that, makes it easy to follow and understand, and is cost effective, well, then that sort of feels like the holy grail. And to me, I think about when brokerage accounts were just for wealthy people. And then Schwab came along in the 70s, right, and said, you know what, we're going to do this discount brokerage thing and we're going to put a, a store in every corner. And, and his account growth was, you know, 45,000 to uh, 85,000 to 150,000 to 200. Now he's got 10 million accounts now, right? Three yeah. trillion dollars. IRAs today, 80 million accounts. 401k, 70 million accounts. By the time we're done, there ought to be 60 million alternative IRA accounts in this country. Let's talk about what exactly alternative IRAs are, because some of our some of our audience doesn't know. You invested in a private company. I opened yep. up talking to you when you came down the stairs, when you barely made it down my stairs. Uh, I opened up by talking about a beach house. People own real estate. What are some of the things people can can put in an alternative IRA that you won't find at Charles Schwab? So anything that's non-publicly traded pretty much falls into that category of alternative asset. In terms of what you can put in your IRA, there's a set of uh, prohibited transactions, which is actually fairly narrow. So one of those great prohibited assets and prohibited transactions is a second home for yourself. That's a no-no. But what is good on the real estate front is buying a commercial property and leasing it out or buying a residential property, which you also rent out, right? So real estate's good, second homes for yourself, bad. The other thing that you can't do is you can't buy collectibles. 
Um, you could you could say, hey, the Mona Lisa is a really good investment. I want to buy it, except the IRS is going to shake their finger and say no. Right. So you can't buy art. You can't buy Persian rugs. You you can't buy uh, antique cars. But pretty much everything else that's non-publicly traded is going to fall into that alternative asset category that you can use your Alto IRA account to invest in. Does that make sense? Yeah. My understanding around real estate is, I mean, this was just kind of a guideline. If I go there and use it myself, no, I can't do it. If there's this barrier between me and the real estate, yes. Yes. That's a better way of, of saying it. It's not for personal use. And the reason is because the IRS is trying to protect against a uh, backdoor funneling of right. cash from your IRA to yourself. Right. Absolutely. Which sounds like right. fun. So I kind of get it. Let's walk through then the, the Alto platform. So I go to altoira.com and what do I do? Walk me through it, Eric. Yeah. So you're going to create your Alto IRA account. And, you know, by the way, if you need help, then we have completely failed. It is designed for everyone, you know, whether you're 22 or whether you're 62, it doesn't matter. Okay. And so you're going to provide all of the necessary information for us to identify who you are. We do what's called a KYC or know your customer background check, as well as an anti-money laundering check. All of that happens in real time behind the scenes. You don't have to worry. It's not like a credit report thing. So you're not going to get any dings on your credit report. And then what we do is we help you with the process of moving cash from an existing broker dealer, let's just say Fidelity, over to Alto IRA. And so based on the information, personal information that you provide to us, we will go ahead and pre-populate what's called a transfer of asset form. You'll provide us with the account number from your transferring broker. Uh, you'll sign it. You'll provide a copy of your account statement. This is how your transferring broker knows that it's actually you requesting the transfer. And once you're done with that, we take over. So we will auto send the documentation to, in this case, Fidelity, this example, Fidelity. We will confirm that they've received it in the details. And then they'll send us the money via ACH or wire. And all along, the system really functions as an automated communication hub. So when uh, we initiate the wire for your money, you get a notification which says, hey, we've initiated the wire. When the money's being sent, you get a notification which says, hey, the money's being sent. When we actually get the money, you get a notification which says, hey, we got the money. And I say this, I know it sounds so simple and basic, but the industry up until now has missed all of this, right? These are just fundamental building blocks for us. This should be, you know, no brainer type stuff. And it doesn't exist until we've come along to do it. It's amazing between this and mortgages. I don't know which communication system's worse. Well, this I will say about mortgages, which is nobody will accept an electronic <laughs> signature. So we've moved that, right? So we, and by the way, the industry didn't do electronic signatures before us. I, I have a funny story about an RFP that we received from an investment platform partner, which said, will you do electronic signatures with an asterisk which says it's required for us? And my response, you know, after filling out the RFP, 
you know, I sent it back saying I got a huge chuckle about the fact that you wanted to know if an electronic signature was okay. I mean, the whole point of everything that we have done is to streamline and remove the pain for the customer. They're still back with Charles Schwab starting in the 1970s. Um, <laughs> Maybe, but by the way, I'm just going to say that both Fidelity and Schwab are awesome to work with. Sure, yeah. They're fantastic. Absolutely. Yep, totally agree. Uh, let's talk about fees in the Alto IRA because you talked about you're, you're writing checks, you're doing all the work, they can't hardly do anything. How do you guys get paid? Yeah, so three ways really. There's an account setup fee, which is meant to cover the costs of the Know Your Customer anti-money laundering check as well as the transfer of your assets from the the existing IRA to your Alto IRA. And I want to be clear, we don't take public securities. If you want to transfer private securities from another custodian to us, that's good. And if you want to transfer cash, and we also allow for annual cash contributions to your IRA. So those things are good. And that's a $49 fee. One time, you never get it again. The next fee is a transaction fee. So when you make an investment in an alternative asset, we get charged a transaction fee that actually ranges from $9 to $99. And it depends on uh, where you're making that investment. So if you're making the investment with us on a platform partner where everything happens via API, which means uh, digitally or electronically behind the scenes between us and the platform partner, that could be as low as $9. And that's like we funder ground floor Republic. If you're investing on something like AngelList, where the average ticket's going to be a bit higher, it's going to be $25. If you're making larger investments in places like uh, Yield Street or Forge Global, it's going to be $99. Gotcha. Um, that's the second fee. And those are one-time transaction fees. And then we have an annual asset reporting fee at the end of the year, which uh, we report to the IRS on your behalf. And, you know, one of the things that really bugged me about the industry to date was they would charge you not only a minimum fee, but then they would charge you basis points, which for those who don't know what basis points are, it's a percent of a percent. OK, so one basis point is one percent of one percent. So they would charge you basis points based on your account size. And I'm sitting here thinking, but you're not doing any work. You're not doing any work. You're not responsible for my investment. And whether it goes up or down has nothing to do with your advice. In fact, you're not providing any advice. And so for us, it's a fixed $99 per asset fee at the end of the year. Which, and to be clear, alternative asset reporting, difficult to do, which is why that number is higher than it would be with a Fidelity IRA. Yeah. So there's an annual evaluation that's involved with alternative asset investing, and we help you with all of that. The site is altoira.com. We'll link to it on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Eric, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes here and going over it. We'll have mom come down and walk you very carefully back up the stairs. I appreciate that, Joe. Thanks for having me. Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And you know, I gotta say, it's Bavarian Crepes Day, and I'm pretty sure I'm actually allergic to these things because I've had like 12 blueberry crepes so far and man do I feel like shit. but even worse I'm having a heck of a time coming up with any Bavarian crepe trivia I think Bavarian creep trivia would have been easier but let's just do this instead today was the day way back in 1962 that a little rock and roll band named The Beatles released their first album Please Please Me 
while they went on to score 84 different awards, including Grammys, Brit Music Awards, and Billboard Music Awards, here's today's question. How many times were they nominated? I'll be back with that answer in just a moment. And we explain the complicated rules of this game to Susan backstage. Very complicated, Susan, don't you think? <laughs> yes, it is. I'm yes. still thinking about them. <laughs> you you are playing you are playing on behalf of OG and the score because everybody struck out last week, including Paula, Tara Falcone, who played on behalf of you last week. Uh, all, all of our contestants were over. And because we use prices right rules, if you're over, nobody wins. Uh, the score is OG or Susan, in this case, five. Len has two and Paula has two. And because Len won most recently, that means that Paula gets to decide. Paula, are you going to go first in the middle or last? I will go last. Huh, that is weird. And <laughs> Len, how about you? Middle or first? Hmm. Let me think. Uh, I'm going to go second to last. Yeah, that's also strange, which means, Susan. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you get to shoot in the dark first. 80, yeah. 84 times. Was it 84 times? They uh, won different music awards. How many times were they nominated <laughs> over their long, illustrious career? Four. Well, it's got to be higher than 84 <laughs> because of the fact that they won 84 times. So they were no, nominated. I think we, have, we have to stick with that number, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, more than 84. I'm going to say 100. Any, uh, any rationale behind that guess? Absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> None. <laughs> I am the only person I know that didn't like the Beatles. Is that like a bad thing to admit? Do you know what's funny? Mom didn't like the Beatles. Mom was a huge Elvis fan or is a huge Elvis fan, but not the Beatles. No, nope, so, never liked them. Yeah. Never liked them. Yeah, that's crazy. Len, how about, or, Len, are you second? You're second, right? <laughs> Does it really matter? <laughs> So 84, they won. How many overall were they nominated? Yes. How many times were they nominated? Well, I am, I am so tempted. I think this is crazy, but I am tempted to say they, they never lost, which would be 84, right? Do I do that? I'm going to do that. I am going to say 84. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an incredible answer. That would be an incredible answer. But it's the Beatles. It's a Beatles. It's, it is. It's seriously, it's a, even though Susan doesn't really like them, mom doesn't really like them, they won a lot of stuff. Yeah, they're perfect. All right, Paula, what are you going to do with this? 80, okay, so I'm going to explain my thinking. Now, first of all, given the fact that Len and I both have two points on the scoreboard and OG slash Susan has five, We've got some serious catching up to do, and that means I need to play, I need to play aggressively. Susan's about to get punked is what you're saying. So as much as I don't want to be a jerk, what this means is that my answer is going to be either 95 or 101. So the question right. fundamentally is, do I believe that the number of times that they were nominated is in the range of between 85 through 99, or do I believe that it was 101 or greater? My first instinct was that they won half of their nominations, which would mean, of course, that the answer would be 101 or greater. But then again, they are the Beatles, so it is hard to imagine them losing. 
to some flyby. Paula, you're not going to, are you, Paula? You, <laughs> so, okay, I need to close my eyes and really feel out the answer. I'll give you a dollar if you, if you go one or two. <laughs> I think I still have a couple in my drawer. <laughs> hmm. You know what? I think that they were nominated more than 100 times, so I'm going to guess 101. And that's what you get for going first. And that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Susan, hey, Susan, we don't care. OG's got to lose. We're, we're tired of hearing him bragging about his big, big lead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Susan, that will forever be known. And you won't get this reference, but you just got Chelsea Brennan. Or, uh. or actually, I take that back. Paula just Chelsea Brennan you. That's, that's what it is. Yes. Going to Google that. Uh, uh, you won't find it. Nope. Just got to go back in the archives to when Chelsea (laughs) Brennan was on because she played incredibly aggressively. All right. Uh, Well, I know two things. Not only is this the last time Airbnb sponsoring a show, but it's also the last time Susan's coming back. (laughs) But we'll be back with the answer here in just a second. Well, you know, here we are big fans of earning extra cash. And stacking more Benjamins with Airbnb is a great thing, thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this episode of Stacking Benjamins. And whether you're looking for some side cash or steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't yet made. Worried about your property? Airbnb offers a host guarantee that helps protect your property on the likely event that something goes wrong. It's free to list your home, and you're the boss when you host on Airbnb. Host when you want. How you want, list one bedroom, the entire place, it's all up to you. What I really like about this is that, number one, you could be on vacation and have somebody at your house paying for your vacation that you're currently taking. Or if there's like a big festival in town, I know here, not far from my house, there's often some big uh, golf tournaments. You could choose that weekend alone And the price tag on an Airbnb during that time is fantastic. So whether you're in a little town like I was in, like Texarkana, whenever they have a festival or a major event, choosing those weekends, choosing big weekends, weekends you're away, there's a lot of flexibility. I like the fact that you're in control. I also like that you can connect with people. What's funny is I've met so many cool Airbnb hosts just from my time traveling that I feel like I've got this network now of some pretty cool people from Southern France to Italy to Seattle across the United States. I like all that. Also, if you're community minded, you get to show off your community. I was part of a nonprofit building walking trails around Texarkana. Nothing I like better than showing people what a cool town Texarkana was. And now guess what? I want to do the same thing in Detroit. Badass town if you haven't been here lately. Even if you came here 10 years ago when I used to live here, totally different place. So for stackers only, get this, you can go to airbnb.com slash SB to start hosting and you'll receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th. So if you're going to do it, start now, get your $500 in, you'll grab a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th by going to airbnb.com slash SB and start hosting. That's airbnb.com slash SB. By the way, this is great. We were just talking about traveling. 
If you're traveling, nothing better than a fast-paced read, whether you're on a beach or in the mountains visiting Detroit. No better author for that than uh, Michael Connolly. But Michael Connolly isn't just in book form now. He is a podcast. And Stacky Benjamin's brought to you by Murder Book, a new true crime podcast hosted by best-selling author Michael Connolly. It's available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to my voice right now. Also, be sure to check out Dark Sacred Night, Michael Connolly's latest number one bestseller featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. It's like old times with those two. I feel like there's Harry, Renee, me going out, solving some problems together, solving the world's problems. Returning to his roots as a journalist, bestselling author Michael Connolly now presents Murder Book, working with the very detectives who inform his novels and his hit television show, Bosch. The podcast explores real homicide cases not covered by mainstream media. In fact, season one is the telltale bullet dives into a 30 year old Hollywood carjacking gone wrong that tests the limits of the American criminal justice system. Of course, the book dark sacred night is his latest number one bestseller featuring the same Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. Be sure to check them out. Michael Connolly's new Murder Book Podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast or at murderbookpodcast.com. That's murderbookpodcast.com. All right, Susan, you guessed 100. You have to be right on. I'm sure you're feeling incredibly confident about that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that no. would be the best. If it's 100, that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Len, they, can you just can you just make it a hundred? Because I think it would be a, all my sackage away a dollar, Susan. <laughs> we could make it up like half the other stuff on this show is no, I'm kidding. Uh Len, 84. Feeling good? Yeah, I am. And, <laughs> and Paula 101. My options were either between 85 to 99 or 101 and up. All right, Doug, what's our answer? Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I have some good news for you. It's not the blueberries I'm allergic to in these crepes because I switched to strawberry and I still feel like shit. But I do feel good enough to bring you today's trivia. So let's just do this thing, shall we? The Beatles scored a total of 84 awards during their career, but how many times were they nominated? If you said an incredible 110 times, you'd be correct, but that's not what's incredible because besides being nominated an amazing number of times, those two numbers are really close together, which means most of the time, if the Beatles were nominated for an award, they won it, just like me. But right now, I feel like I'm going to go try to get the award for most likely to go try another crepe. I may feel sick, but Mama didn't raise no quitter. See ya. So I just want you to know, I put everybody in the right number zone. You did. You did. All right. Okay. Uh, hold on now, Susan. Four. You started out at four. Okay. Five. <laughs> so I had a little difficulty with the math, but once I learned. <laughs> that's, that's so great. Paula, congratulations on your big win. I bet you'll celebrate that for minutes. As a minute. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps seconds. Let's not get a get right. Ahead of right. Absolutely. 
Hey guys, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you'll find that those financial products you use every day, guess what? They're nowhere near best in class. Over 92% of the products available online all ranked at magnify money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. In fact, it's always frustrating to me when people say, hey, in some Facebook group, they'll say, hey, what's what's a good interest rate on on a savings account i'm like wow if you only went to magnify money you could look at all of them compared against each other today though we're gonna help lauren magnify her money say hi lauren hey joe and og thanks for your podcast and everything that you guys do i actually do learn a lot from you guys um i have a question about college savings I want to start saving um, for my kids' college, but I don't want to use a traditional 529 plan because I feel like there are too many restrictions. Your kid doesn't end up going to college. It's really hard to get your money out um, if they get a full ride or any type of scholarship. Um, So I'm just, I'm not sold on a 529. What would you suggest as the best savings vehicle for college? I want to make some money on the savings but more than a traditional savings where you you know where the interest rate is really really low but i do want to be a little bit more conservative than maybe a traditional brokerage account because i don't want to risk losing it all um if something happens in the stock market i want to be able to make sure that i can use it to pay for my kids college education i'd just love to know your thoughts thanks so much thanks for the question lauren and i love how surprised she is that she sometimes learns something <laughs> you know what i i do actually learn sometimes uh, Susan, let's start with you just on one point, which is she's really worried about the 529 plan and about the fact that she can't use it for anything but that. Is that justified? Should she be worried about the 529 plan? No. And I think she needs to take a look at the new tax laws and what the 529 plans can and can't do. I think the thing she should worry more about and the point I want to address is a risk. So if you're planning on a 529 plan and you're planning on investing outside of a 529 plan, you have to be aware of your time horizon. When are you going to need the money? So you do not want to keep your dollars that aren't in a 529 plan, maybe in another plan outside that. You don't want to keep those dollars in the market. The closer you get to needing them, just like retirement, the more you want to have a less risky investment so that the principal is there when you need it. On the other hand, Paula, we've got college costs going up at about 7%. So I worry about when the junior's young and Lauren doesn't want to be in the market, that she is going to suffer from another type of risk, which is that her money's going to actually lose purchasing power. Right. Lose purchasing power relative to uh, the rising cost of college because every year, the value of a dollar is less and less. Kind of like the tooth fairy money. Right. 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 It's just going down over time. So a couple of options here. I mean, she could offset that risk by making more contributions while keeping the investment conservative. So she could invest in bonds, um, go to treasurydirect.gov and buy bonds directly. And that way she'll have a somewhat better return than certainly as compared to leaving it in cash. Uh, She could try laddered CDs or depending on her feelings about real estate, she may or may not think this is a crazy idea. She could buy a property on a 15 year mortgage 
And then 15 years from now, when Junior is ready to start college, the property's paid in full, at which point you can either use the rental income to pay the monthly bills or sell the property and have one giant lump sum. Knowing that and probably using the property to pay the bill would be, well, would be less risky, I would think, because of the fact that the cash flow from that would be easier to depend on than, you know, I mean, it might take you a while to sell the house, depending on how soft the real estate is at that time. I just worry that somebody, somebody wants to sell a house to pay for college. That house might not sell right away. It might not sell right away. And also uh, you're going to have to pay taxes on the capital gains from the sale, but a spreadsheet can answer all of those questions, right? Like the beauty of buying a home on a 15 year mortgage and then having that home paid free and clear by the time junior is ready to start college means that now you have two options. So you can run a spreadsheet, figure out which one is the best in your situation, depending on what the market is like 15 years from now, and pick whatever is appropriate at that time. The thing I worry about, Len, with... uh, uh, Go ahead, Susan. I was just going to say, keep your time, just like Paula's saying, keep your time horizon in mind when you're making those investments. So you're going to have, if you're starting young, you're going to have a, a wide time horizon. And be aware as you get closer to it that you might want to get more conservative. Yeah. And if you want to do what Paula said, if you're going to buy a house, buy an apartment house in the town where your child goes to college so that you can rent all those apartments out to all those kids. You don't have to sell the building. You could use the rent. Okay. I'm only kidding a little. <laughs> No, I actually, I actually, Susan, I love that strategy. And what I like just to to take that and supersize it a little bit, have Junior, if Junior does go to college in that town, hire Junior to be your property manager. Yep. And then all the money you pay Junior, Junior then uses to pay the tuition. And now you've lowered the tax on all this money that's going toward tuition. You've just given yourself a different tax shelter than a 529 plan. But and I'll caution everybody there. It has to be for real work that Junior actually did. You can't just can't just right. funnel a bunch of cash uh, in this, I don't know, Ponzi scheme or w- whatever. Len, um, Len, what do you think? Uh, well, uh, actually, here's what I think. If you don't want a lot of risk, you got a long time horizon, try precious metals, physical <laughs> precious metals. <laughs> I knew laugh all you want, but that is a a risk free. If you're worried about losing your what you're putting in, that is totally legitimate. And it doubles as diversifying your overall portfolio and ensuring that as well. So if you're doing that, that's a great way to over insure your entire portfolio. And you can use that to save for your kids college education if you wish. I think we're laughing mostly, Len, because you're so damn predictable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I, I can see that. You know, when you have a five two nine, they're they're unpredictable. You don't even know if your kids are going to go to college by the time you know your kids. And then what do you do? You know, you've got sure you can give it off to another another relative or somebody like that. But you know, what if you only have two kids and they both don't go to college? I mean, you kind of you kind of stuck. So, but you, you can know, I, you can still then spend it on yourself your spouse, you can, yeah, but it isn't only for school, right? It will become the Penzo family education trust. Yeah. Thinking right. that you do it. And then, and then you give it to your child. You can give it to your child who then can use it for her kids or his kids. Uh, so it stays in the Penzo family as the education trust. How bad's that? 
Well, it's a, you know, it's, if you've saved a big chunk of money, maybe you've got six figures saved up and that's, that's money that you were intending for one item and you can't use it as you intended. So, but you're right. I mean, it's not a total loss. But I, I appreciate yeah, Lauren's. I, I appreciate Lauren's question. I thought it was a good question. Yeah, me too. Uh, Paula, what were you saying? I was saying, well, you you can. You just pay a penalty on it. So you save up, say, a hundred thousand dollars. You pay a ten percent penalty. Just think of it as paying a ten thousand dollar fee for the risk premium. You still get the other ninety back. Well, and the other thing, Paula, is you only pay money on the growth. And if it's like a lot of those long periods of time with precious metals, there'd be no gain. So you end up paying zero. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Len, Len, to be clear, I was not laughing at precious metals. I was laughing at you. <laughs> yes, I, that, that's, I'm used to Yes, that's true. Most people do. <laughs> you ever have, Susan, people you talk to about kids' education funds just want to bury it in the backyard like Len? <laughs> you mean bury it in Len's backyard? Because <laughs> I've heard about that. And Len, I think we need to talk about that. <laughs> I don't think it's a good strategy. You don't tell people where they, where you buried it. (laughs) Parents have to understand. They don't have to, but I really wish they would understand that it's not just 100% their responsibility to pay for college as well. That there's contributions that their children will and can make through merit and scholarship and working. So it's not a, one and done by the parents. I think actually children who do hear early on that there's expectations for them to contribute, make decisions sometimes based on what they know is available. So rather than shooting for a school that's necessarily more expensive, rather than the local school that's less expensive when it's their money, they're likely to choose something that's a little less expensive. I love that idea as long as, and when I was a financial planner, I'd see this sometimes, parents would say, well, my kid's going to work, but then they wouldn't, Susan, they wouldn't take the time to educate Junior on what it was going to take on their end. And I think as if Junior's going to work, and I love the idea that parents need to also parent to make sure that the kid has a strategy and doesn't go in blind. Yeah. You've got to open the kimono. You have got to let them understand what the the number is and how you're going to get there and realistically what they need to contribute. You're right. Yeah. You have to tell them. Good stuff, guys. Thanks for the question, Lauren. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and on the top of the page, you'll see ways to ask us questions, questions for the show. Click that link and you'll see all the ways that you can, uh, you can talk to us and we'll answer your question here. That's going to do it for today. Thank you so much, Susan, for hanging out with us today. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Well, Len, I want to know where my money is in your backyard. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just needed to get that out there. You're going to, there's lots of, there's booby traps, Susan. Let me just, there's lots of booby traps. You're going to get a, Susan's going to get a a weird treasure map in the mail in like a week. (laughs) Not know what it is. Yeah. And a metal detector. I'm ready. Well, tell everybody if they go to moneysavvy.com, I know you've always got new stuff that you're working on. What are you working on now over there, Susan? We just finished our pre-K kindergarten curriculum. And we also just, we're about to get an award for our official money guide for couples book, which completes the series. It was official money guide for teens, then college students, and then couples, because the first graders I started with when I started Money Savvy Generation, they're now couples. So we had to keep creating books 
as they were getting older. That's cool. Well, congratulations on the award too. Thanks. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, Len, what's happening at lenpenzo.com? I hope I live long enough to get to the point where Susan's got the book for like the 70 year old people. Cause that's <laughs> you know, <laughs> the guide for that's Len. Next. <laughs> she, well, I, hey, I what, saw her, well, I saw her writing that down. Len needs a guide. Clearly. <laughs> Please hurry. Right. I don't have much time left. <laughs> okay. okay. Gotcha. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, uh, this week, Joe, a Stacking Benjamins listener and LenPenzo.com reader, Jason from Maine, uh, the latest in the $40,000, How I Live on $40,000 or Less Annually series. Oh, sweet. So Jason from Maine, come on by and see how he does it. Nice job, Jason. And I love that series. That's he's, is, is he the, he's, he might be the third listener of Stacking Benjamins. That's been he is that number series. three. Yes. Yeah. Number three. And I encourage all Stacking Benjamin listeners uh, to let me know and we can uh, do a story on YouTube. Len wants to encourage everybody to write his blog for him. <laughs> 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 do all that work. No, I'm kidding. Uh, head to our show notes page and we'll, we'll link to that on our show notes page. Paula, what's happening at that uh, Afford Anything Amazing podcast? At the crazy Afford Anything podcast, we are interviewing Todd Herman, who wrote a book about the alter ego effect, which is basically about embracing this inner alter ego so that you can perform at a higher level than what your, uh, you know, current self could. Basically, if you flip from being Clark Kent to being Superman, you then perform at a Superman level. So um, we're talking to Todd Herman about how mentally reframing yourself by creating this alter ego can help you in high pressure situations like asking for a raise or starting a side hustle and making some very scary calls to new clients. I have so many questions. I can't wait to listen to that one because so many questions. Like, what if I already think I'm Superman? Do I become Clark Kent then? No, but you know what's interesting is Clark Kent was actually the alter ego. Superman is who he is in in default life. Oh, and Clark Kent was the alter ego oh, yeah, that he had to right. adopt in order to fit into society. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, and we'll link to that on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we've learned today? Tell you what, Joe. As usual, they probably didn't learn anything, but here's what I picked up. First, worried about how much money the tooth fairy has given your kids. Let's widen that question and ask instead, how can you use the tooth fairy to teach your kids even more about money? Second, alternative investments? Well, well, they're not for everyone. Things may be getting easier if you're considering adding some of these to your investment mix. But the big lesson? I've now eaten 16 of these crepes, and I feel absolutely, completely like crap. In fact, I think that's how you're supposed to pronounce that word. What exactly am I allergic to in these concoctions? I mean, I've replaced the blueberries with apples and had some more, and I tried strawberries and had three more of those, and I even tried peaches for the last three, but I just keep getting more and more sick. God, I just I gotta figure this out. Maybe I'm allergic to fruit. Yeah, all right, I'm gonna we're gonna try one plain here. That's that's gonna be the ticket. See, people, brilliant minds, brilliant minds, people always find a way through the storm. Special thanks to Susan Beecham for coming on to the roundtable. You can find more from Susan at her sites, moneysavvy.com and susanbeecham.com. Wow, she's got two sites. She must be a pretty big deal. Another special thanks to Eric Satz from Alto. 
You can find out more at altoira.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com. Len Penzo appears courtesy of the cryptically named lenpenzo.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Uh, Thanks to Joe's mom for pointing out I'm probably allergic to the batter, but by now I've had like a carton of blueberries and... Oh, Oh, it's not good. It's not good. Welcome to the after show, Susan. This is the part of the show that people don't talk about. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. So just so you know the rules. Okay, Here. got it. We don't have to, we don't want to have to come find you later. You All know? right. All right. right. <laughs> and, and, and I don't want you to find me later. <laughs> She'll be in my backyard. With a, she'll be in my backyard with a metal detector, Joe. <laughs> yeah. A metal detector and a shovel. Right. <laughs> What's happening there? Yeah. Well, kids say funny things. And since this was an episode largely, um, largely devoted to teaching kids about money and some of the funny things kids say, you know, I thought about the fact that my kids would always say when I said we couldn't afford something, well, why don't you just go to the ATM machine? Right. I mean, there's, there's always more money in the banana stand. So, so I was thinking, what are some crazy things that uh, maybe kids around you or you maybe said, or, uh, but before we do that, Len, you had a very serious thing you needed to get done. Yeah. yeah Paula mentioned she has two baby teeth. I do. Right? I do. I, still- have, I have two baby teeth. For the dentists and the orthodontists who are listening to this and who are horrified right now, I don't know the name of the teeth. Like, I don't know exactly how to identify them. But when you look at my bottom set of teeth, they are, uh, uh, how do you say? Like, eye teeth? They're what? Eye teeth? I, I don't know. I don't know what they're called. Size? They're not like, so you've got like the six or so teeth that are in the very, very front and then they're the ones that are right on the side of that. Both of them are baby teeth because there were never any adult teeth underneath them. So there was nothing to push the baby teeth out. So the baby teeth just stayed. And then because they're baby teeth, the teeth around them have collapsed in. And I don't have dental insurance, so I've never dealt with it. Oh my 
goodness. Ah, the importance <laughs> of insurance. <laughs> well, well, Paula, I, I wanted to ask the magic eight ball if those teeth are ever going to fall out on their own. Oh. So, so I, if you don't mind, can I ask the magic eight ball? Absolutely. So, so, so magic eight ball, will Paula always have those two baby teeth in her mouth? Yes, without question. Well, Yay! Baby teeth for life! Baby teeth for life! <laughs> Wait a minute. Here's here's the real point. Who needs dental insurance when you got the magic eight ball? <laughs> I mean, now she knows nothing's going to happen, so forget the dental insurance. I mean, come on. It's, dental insurance is for whips. The, uh, uh, Paula, how about you? You got a, a story about kids saying anything crazy about... Uh, Money or otherwise? Kids saying the darndest things. Well, I was going to actually tell a story about a cousin of mine who, whenever the parents said, oh, we don't have the money for such and such, they would say, well, just just go to the machine and get some, <laughs> you know, thinking that the ATM was just this this fountain, this wellspring of free money. So it sounds like you had that same idea when you were a kid <laughs> as well. So instead, I think I'll tell a story about myself, all right? So when I was a little kid, I have this distinct memory of being in Kathmandu, and I must have been probably around three years old, and we were riding uh, in a rickshaw. It was myself and my mom and my aunt, my mom's sister. And I remember at that time thinking about, oh, maybe I was, I might have been six. It was either three or six. It was one of those ages. And I remember thinking about all of the money that my parents spend on social activities, whether it's grabbing the tab for a, a, a rickshaw ride or a taxi ride, or whether it's throwing a party for their friends where, you know, they provide all of the food and drink. Like I remember being on this rickshaw ride and thinking about that and like being struck by how all of that money added up to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And then I felt this like panic, like, oh my God, I've got to protect this money. And so when the rickshaw ride ended, I refused to let my mom pay the bill. I made my aunt do it because I was trying <laughs> to protect like our family money. I threw a tantrum like my mom was trying to pay for it. And I was I would not let her. I was like, no. So and your aunt still doesn't talk to you. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> 30 years later. That's so funny. Yeah, I distinctly remember that. Because you can see the intelligence of that, but mm. still the, uh, yeah, half, uh, half right, half out there. Kinda. <laughs> yeah. Susan, you've got to see kids say you, you are in this market all the time. Yeah. I spend my life with kids and they're so much more fun than adults because they have no filter. And so, well, wait a minute. Know, this is your first time with this group. We have no filter, yeah. clearly. Well, <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but okay. So, I'm going to tell a story on my 27 year old daughter when she was 15 years old. Uh, it was summer. And she was, do you all remember Judging Amy? The oh, show yeah, Judging yeah, yeah. Amy? Yeah. Okay. She's watching reruns of Judging Amy laying on the couch. And I said, you know what? Get dressed. We're going to go see our financial advisor. I want you to take a pad of paper, a pencil, and a book. She came down the stairs and I said, okay, now go back upstairs and wear what you'd wear to church because this is a professional meeting. Lesson number one. 
took her to the advisor meeting. I said, write all your questions down. I will answer them later. Okay. If you get bored, I said to her, leave and go sit out in the waiting room. We'll get to you. Went through the meeting. She stayed for the whole thing. As we were driving in the car to lunch, I said, Allie, do you have any questions? What'd you think of the meeting? And she said, what the heck is self-employment tax? I mean, what is, why? She's 15. She's 15. And I said, okay. And we explained self-employment tax to a 15-year-old. And then she said, I said, well, did you learn anything? And she said, yeah, I learned you can't live it up now if you want to live it up later. Okay. All right. It wasn't perfect. (laughs) It wasn't perfect, but she understood delayed gratification. I mean, it, it, she got it. And it was because we, we took her into our world. We took her into that advisor meeting and God bless that financial advisor. I didn't even tell him she was coming and (laughs) the look on his face, but he just rolled with it. It was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity for her and for us as as her parents to hear just where her mind was when it came to money. What'd she say? Oh, you you could pick that up. (laughs) She said it's on Amazon April 15th. She says Bosch on Amazon Prime. I guess she's talking about watching Bosch on Amazon Prime now. It's it's fantastic. All right, we go. We got to move. So let's get this party started. I have no idea how we're going to edit that, but that, <laughs> but that was that was some crazy radio. All right. Okay, we're trying to run a podcast here. <laughs> she, just, she, she, she just want to come. We we need another microphone. <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is. Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.